The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's all take our Bibles this morning, and let's go, let's go to Second Thessalonians. That's where we're going to start. We're going to continue our study, but before we do, let's pray uh, before we embark into the Word of God. Father, thank you for uh, the grace that we will study today, your your gift of grace. Thank you for all the blessings that you shed upon us, you pour out upon us each day. And uh, just help us, Father, to fully understand and appreciate the grace you've given us. Instruct us from your Word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying the grace of God for some time now, and we began a, a study a couple of, a few weeks back on the, uh, the diversities of God's grace, the many facets of God's grace. We said, we said, first of all, that God's grace is the source of our call from God, and it certainly is. Uh, it's God's grace that called us unto repentance. It's God's grace that equips us and calls us into service. It's God's grace, we said, secondly, is the source of our justification. Uh, we, are, we, are, we could not possibly be justified in the sight of God were it not for the grace of God. And thirdly, we said God's grace is the source of our faith. And we discussed that last week. Um, we, as, as men and women, have, a, have a, a form of faith. We do. We have, we have belief and we, we exercise confidence and, and things such as that. But faith unto salvation we cannot possibly, we cannot possibly possess for we are, uh, we are depraved, and we are, the Bible says that our mind and heart divides this wicked thing continually, and the Bible also instructs us and reminds us that natural man cannot receive the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. So the faith that it takes to, to trust Jesus as Savior, uh, faith unto salvation, is something that must be given to us, and it is given to us. It's a gift of God, and it's measured to us, and so it is a, it is a very special faith that only those that God has called can receive. So we, we, we looked at that. Now today I want to look at number four, and that is that God's grace is the source of our consolation. God's grace, number four, is the source of our consolation. You should be at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at verse 16. We read here, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So we see there in verse 16 that the Bible clearly tells us that God has given us consolation and hope through grace. Now the thought in this verse is, of course, the consolation of the believer, uh, the comfort given to the saints by God's grace. Now, in order to understand this, first of all, we must, we must define uh, comfort. We must define comfort. So the word comfort means this. It means to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer, or to enliven. So when we talk about the consolation of the saints, which is actually the comfort of the saints, uh, when God comforts us or he consoles us, 
we, we have to understand what are we talking about when we talk about comfort. Are we talking about ease? Are we talking about leisure? Or, uh, well, of course, we know that's not true because Jesus told us that we would suffer persecution in this world. We, we're not going to have, despite the, the preaching and teaching of the prosperity gospel preachers, we're not going to have a rose garden in this Christian life. If, uh, remember, the Bible says those that will live godly in this present time shall suffer what? Persecution. So to live godly in, the, in this time, to live godly in this world means we're not going to have a lot of ease and a lot of leisure and we're not going to be readily accepted by the world and those around us and, and things such as that. So we're not talking about comfort here in that aspect. We're talking about the comfort that comes to us from God when we do face those persecutions, when we do face those trials and those tribulations. And, and everyone in this room, you have either been through a storm, you are in a storm now, or you're about to come up on one. Uh, that's one thing we can all bet for sure, is that we are either in, we've either just come out of trials and tribulations, or we're in them now, or we're about to enter into them, because this is the lot of, of the believer of God in this present day. So, to comfort means to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer, or enliven. Now, there are three separate elements of the definition that I'd like to consider here for a few moments. So, first, letter A on your sheet is this, God's grace gives us strength. Strength to endure, strength to, strength to, uh, to, to withstand, strength to stand firm. God's grace gives us strength. In, in Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 and 2, we read, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now this, this verse in, in Psalm, these two verses, refer to uh, a military tactic and and what would happen is battles were generally fought in the valleys. Uh, uh, armies generally met down in, in the valley and they, they did the battle there. Uh, but often soldiers who were weary in battle would look up to the hillsides and would look up to the hills to see their reinforcements coming, to see their comrades coming over the top to come down and aid them into battle. And that's what the psalmist is writing here. He says, he's in the midst of turmoil in his life. He says, I'll lift up my, my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. And the Lord gives us strength. He gives us strength to endure, as I said. He gives us, he gives us strength to, to withstand and, and these things. Now, now human strength is fleeting. Uh, those of us who have graying hairs, we can tell you that. They're fleeting. Uh, sitting in my living room Thursday with my father, my, my son-in-law's father, and we're about the same age. And, and uh, when the two of us tried to stand up, it sounded like uh, almost like an old two pigs snorting and hitting each other or something, <laughs> getting up off the couch. And, and, and human strength is fleeting. Uh, I remember times when I could I could go all day long, work hard. And my 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 grandpa was a farmer and a, a rancher, and I would I would go spend the summers with him as a young man, and I would get out there and I'd labor all day long and work hard all day long, and and it didn't bother me a bit. Now I I get up off my couch and walk to the back door to mow the lawn. By the time I open the door, I'm too tired to get out there and do it. Strength. Human strength is fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And there is a limit 
there's a limit to what we can do without the grace of God. Not only physically, but spiritually. There's a limit to what we can accomplish without God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. If there's anything I've learned over the years is, is that in the confusion of everyday life, in the confusion and, and in, the, in, the, in the busyness of raising children, of sending them to school, some of you homeschool, so you have that added to your schedules, um, in the busyness of having, caring for sick loved ones and, and all the cares and concerns of this life, we tend to forget that we face a real enemy. Hollywood depicts the devil as a cute little cartoon character with little horns and a little tail and a pitchfork and a, and a red jumpsuit. And, and, and our minds become numb to the reality that, as Paul said, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have a real enemy today. We, we battle a real war. But the devil, his, his purpose and goal is to keep us so confused about everything that, that we forget these things. And, and out of sight, out of mind, Right? It's easy to forget about the trials we face as a, as a believer because we're too, busy working, we're too busy worrying about what we see to pay any attention to what we don't see. And without the strength given me by Christ, I cannot possibly do the things that God has called me to do. Listen, in my human mind, and my human wisdom and understanding, I could not put together lessons like I do. And it's not me, by the way, honestly, it really isn't. It's, it's the grace of God that, it, that has equipped me to be able to, to discern things from his world that are useful to us. I couldn't do this in my strength. Pastor couldn't stand in that pulpit and preach as he does in his own human strength. It's impossible. Without the strength that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, we could not possibly do the things he's called us to do. However... With the strength of Christ, you can do everything that God has purpose for you to do. This is what is, is meant in, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, where Paul writes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul said, I can do the things I need to do through Christ. Now, some people misinterpret that verse to mean that there's nothing impossible to us, but there are some things that we can't do. Um, I've said this before, if you need heart surgery, uh, I wouldn't bring you over here and lay you on this table and say, okay, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Here we go. 
I'd say, hold on just a moment there. I think you might be misinterpreting that just a bit. I can't do that. I, can't, I couldn't perform surgery today on, on a person. But you know what? God has called me to be a good husband, and I can be a good husband through Christ. He's called me to be a father, and I can be a father to my children through Christ. He's called me to be a servant in his church. I can do that through Christ. I can do all the things that God has willed and purposed for me to do. I can't do any of them without Jesus, but I can do them all through Christ. And that's the strength that we're talking about today. This truth is a great comfort to us, knowing that even in the face of great difficulty, we can count on the grace of God to give us the strength we need to succeed. We don't have to quit. Remember, the scripture tells us uh, not to be weary in well-doing, for in due strength we shall what? what? Reap if we faint not, if we don't quit. We're going to succeed in what God has called us to do as long as we, number one, understand it's his grace, and number two, don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep going. That's the problem with our country today, by the way. We're a, we're a, we're a nation of quitters. We're, we are. We're a nation of quitters. We, we indulge ourselves in things we have no business indulging ourselves in, and then when it gets too tough, we quit. The, the, our country is in such national debt because people spend, 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 and when they can't pay it, they just say, oh, well, I'll file bankruptcy. Well, somebody has to pay for that. Amen? Uh, you know, we, we're, a gen- we're a nation of quitters. We are. We quit on marriages. We quit on children. We've, we've quit raising children in America, and I'm got, I've got off teaching and gone to preaching now, but we quit raising children in America. We really did. We left, we left them to the television and to the Internet, and we left them to the, to the Hollywood uh, philosophies, and we don't want to trouble them, and we don't want to spank them, and, and we don't want to break their will. And what we have is a generation of young people out there who have no respect for anything whatsoever. We've quit, we've quit raising children in America, and we've just cut them loose. And we're going to pay for that, by the way. We are going to pay for that. We quit. We quit. We're a nation of quitters. And, and without Christ, that's exactly what we'll be, quitters. But I can do all the things that God has called me to do through Jesus Christ, his son, which gives me my strength. And God's grace is, uh, gives us strength. But secondly, letter B, God's grace gives us life. We're talking about the consolation. We're talking about the comfort we receive from God's grace. Uh, his grace uh, gives us life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I, I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul writes, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, he says, if I can, if I can obtain righteousness and life by the law, then Jesus had no reason to die. Because the law was already here. But we know that the law is simply a schoolmaster. And, and, and we can't. We can't obtain. And of course, we are speaking here of spiritual life, not physical life. We cannot obtain spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Remember, we were spiritually dead. 
because of sin. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, you don't need to quicken or make alive that which is already alive, right? Only that which is dead needs to be quickened, needs to be made alive. And we were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, And Paul writes, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Remember, we were spiritually dead because of sin. But the grace of God made us alive. Ephesians chapter 2, he goes on, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And Paul puts here, by grace ye are saved. We are saved by grace. We've been made alive, not by any value in us, not by any worth in us. We weren't made alive by our own awakening to the truth of God. Remember, we were dead. You could stand here and talk to a corpse all day long, and it's not going to respond to what you say. Why? It's dead. There's no life in it. So, unless something, some force acts upon that body to make it alive, to quicken it, it's not going to hear anything we say, will it? That's why so many of the people we witness to, it seems like they just don't care. It's because they're dead. And they don't hear what we're saying because they're dead. But when God sets his, his heart to, to, and his purpose to save a man and God quickens him, then we witness to him. He hears the words of Christ. And what does he do? He responds. He acts upon that which he hears, but not because Not because of me saying it or because of him hearing it, but because he was made alive by the grace of God. God's grace has made us alive. And God now desires to give us not just life, but an abundant life. In John chapter 10, Jesus writes, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus desires to to give us eternal life, yes, but he also desires to give us an abundant life here as we tarry and wait for his coming. He desires that we have an abundant life. Now again, I don't want to get off teaching and into preaching, but that abundant life isn't for our pleasure or happiness here. It's for our comfort and peace. You know, as I go through my life, as I've gone through my life these last 33 years in the ministry, I've watched others around me prosper and I've watched them do all these things and, 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 and I've kept my heart and mind focused on what I'm doing for the Lord. But you know, I wouldn't trade my life for any of theirs. I wouldn't trade one moment of the life I've lived from November 29th, 1981 till right now. I wouldn't trade one moment of it. 
As I stand here before you today, I'd have to call the bank to confirm, but I think I've got less than $10 in my checking account. I think I've got less than $10 to my name. My brother, he's a, he's a multimillionaire. Got two children, they're, they're going to be set for life. My, my oldest sister and her husband are very wealthy people. My youngest sister and her husband are very wealthy people. And as I look back over all these years, it would be easy to become jealous. It really would. But you know what? I have had an abundant life. I have had a very abundant life. And God has, God has blessed me so richly over the years. I, I, uh, as I said, I, I, don't, I don't have anything. But I have everything. <laughs> I have a home in heaven. I have a God who loves me. I have, a, I have a church family. I'm closer to all of you than I am to any of my family. Have you ever stopped just to think about the life that you've gotten because of Christ? And I'm not talking about wealth and comfort and ease. I'm talking about those times when I've, I've gone for a walk. And, and I've been heartbroken and, and I've been troubled. And sometimes I go for a walk every day and sometimes I walk and I just I start to woe is me. Lord. And then all of a sudden, God, God opens my mind and I stop and I say, what are you worried about? You are the child of God. You're a child of the king. You know what? This life means nothing. Because. It's going to go away. It's temporal. God reminds me I have a home in the heavens with him for all eternity where I'll never suffer from pain. I'll never sorrow. I'll never weep. I'll never hunger. I'll never thirst. I'll never be persecuted. Oh, listen, we have an abundant life. And if you learn to live your life for Christ, you'll take advantage of that abundant life. So we are counted... We're confident in the truth that we have the strength of Christ and we're confident in the truth that we've been given life. And letter C on your study sheets, God's grace gives us joy. God's grace gives us joy. In John chapter 15, we read the words of our Savior. He says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love if ye keep my commandments. Boy, and you know what? That, that's all I need to hear right there. Really, all I need, that's, that's all I need. If, if someone says you can only have one verse of the Bible for the rest of your life, I would take that one. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. You know how special it is to know that God loves you? It's so special. Though all the world may hate me, but I know that God loves me. We'll read on. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In the four verses that I just read, the word love is used seven times. When I consider these verses, I am convinced that the message is not when we learn to love one another as the Father loves the Son and as the Son has loved us. Then we will have joy. That's the message of that verse. When we learn to love each other, 
the way that Jesus loves the Father. You know, I, I made a statement years ago, and, 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 and a, one of the people, one of the ladies in the service came to me after, and she said, I'd never heard that before. And this is what I told her. Jesus died on the cross to save you and I, yes, but that wasn't his main purpose. He died on the cross because he loved the Father. He gave his life on the cross because that was the will of God. Me being saved by that act was an advantage for me. But what drove Jesus to the cross? Me? You mean to redeem me, he went to the cross? Yes, but not primarily. He went to the cross because it was the will of the Father. And he loved the Father and was going to do the will of the Father. And I ask you that same thing today. Do you love God? Because if you love God, and I'm going to talk about this in my message tonight. So I don't want to preach my message tonight because then you won't come. But if you love God, you're going, it's going to show. It's going to show. Jesus loved the Father, and, and I, will, I will live a joyous life when I learn to love you the way he loves the Father. So that's an important lesson for us to learn. And it, it is the grace of God that makes it possible for us to do that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord is abundant with faith and love. And this love is alien to the world. In fact, the love we're talking about right now is evidence to the world that we are the sons of God. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And this love for one another produces joy in our heart. And the scripture tells us that this makes for a healthy Christian. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Again, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, when we, when we love one another, we, we have the joy of Christ. And that joy, is, it, it produces itself in a merry heart. And Proverbs Solomon said, that's, that's good medicine for you and me. It makes us healthy as God's children, makes us healthy believers. However, a life lived in strife is a life of sorrow. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I, I call this cannibal Christians. They feed on their own kind. And that's a, that's a, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? Can you think of anything more, more terrible than a cannibal? I mean, I can't. I can't think of any, any person, anything that would make a person more despicable to me than for them to be a cannibal. 
But yet, Christians run all around this country devouring other Christians all the time. And they do it with their mouth, their tongue, with lies. And you know what? Even if what you have to say is the truth, if it's not going to help anyone else, then just don't say it. I grew up at the dinner table, and we always ate dinner at the table when I was a kid. And if the conversation started to go toward other people, Daddy would always say, we do not talk about other people at my table. And he would follow that up with the same thing every time. If you don't have something good to say about someone, then don't say nothing at all. And that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. We just don't talk ill about people. But as Christians, we do it all the time, don't we? We do it all the time. So God's grace is the source of our comfort. But then, number five on our sheets this morning, I probably won't have time to finish this, but we'll get into it. God's grace is the source of our hope. God's grace is the source of our hope. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. That we see, secondly, not only do we receive consolation from God's grace, but also we receive hope. Now, I'm going to try to be quick here and just consider the objects of our hope. I'll try to move quickly and get finished. First, letter A, it's salvation. The objects of, of the hope that we have in Christ is, first of all, salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they which be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. First object of our hope this morning, as you and I sit here with the hope that we have in the grace of God, is we hope for salvation, and it is a sure hope. This is the hope of our redemption, and we know that we are saved by the grace of God. And therefore, all this hope is trussed up in that truth. But secondly, this morning, we also hope in righteousness. Let her be righteousness. Galatians 5.5, 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, how can we rest in the truth that there is none righteous apart from Christ and by the Holy Spirit of God? unless we understand that we are made righteous in him. There is no righteousness in me, and there never will be any righteousness in me that is in my flesh. My righteousness is in Christ Jesus through the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin for me, so that I, though I know not righteousness, can be made righteous in him. Let us see. Our hope is, is tied up in Christ's return. So, uh, in, in Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this return is a promise from Christ himself. 
He tells us in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Christ said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And it's a promise. And you can bank on that promise. Now, he may not come back while I physically live. I may sleep in the grave, but he's going to come again. And he's going to come back and, and, and gather me with him also. And that's the hope we have. Letter D, our hope is tied up in our resurrection. Acts chapter 24 and verse 15. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, uh, both of the just and the unjust. Without a resurrection today, we would be hopeless unless Jesus came while we were alive. Now, if there was no resurrection, my only, cha- my only hope for heaven would be if I'm alive when Jesus comes. Otherwise, I'll stay in the grave for eternity. But that's not true. <laughs> you can put me in the grave, but I'm not going to stay there. When Jesus comes in the clouds with, his, with his, his saints and angels and the shout is given, I'm going to rise out of that tomb and I'm going to return and be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. My hope is in the resurrection. Letter E, our hope is tied up in eternal life. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know what? You have no reason to really cling to this life. Because when this life ends, that's not the end of your life. You have eternal life. I have eternal life. I'm going to live forever. People hang on to this life. Why? Because they have no hope of a life after this. But we do. (laughs) I know that it's probably going to take the first millennium for God to slow me down up there. When When I hit those streets of gold, I'm going to start running and screaming like a maniac. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We have hope of eternal life. And then lastly, letter F, our hope is tied up in in glory. Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We will be glorified, we will will live in in a glorified body in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. We have hope. Today, as you and I sit here, uh, we're not we're not hopeless. We have great hope and that hope is the the source of that hope is the the abundant grace of God, which he shed upon us. All right, folks. Well, I need to stop for today. We got through this lesson. Can't believe it. That's a good thing. All right. Have a great day. We are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.